Microphone in one hand, telephone in the other. Keith Ian's definitely in Florida. I do know that much. By the way, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, we have an evangelist who's coming to speak today. Um, he called me. I usually turn my phone off. He called me, but it's like a butt call. You know, he's just talking to his kids. Uh, all right, anyway, I tried. I'm going to leave this on. If it rings, it's me. Okay. All right, sorry about that. Let's begin today by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We know that we were a wretched, fallen race, and you were within your rights to just uh, sentence us to the lake of fire right away without any further ado because of the fall of Adam. And yet, instead of that, you gave us your precious son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and he went to the cross and died for us, the innocent for the guilty. He was buried, and then on the third day, Father, you raised him from the dead so that we all know he is God in the flesh and that whoever simply believes in the good news about Jesus Christ our Lord, his death, burial, and resurrection will never perish but have eternal life. And, Father, today we also want to thank you for providing us the royal family around us, the members of the body of Christ. We thank you, Father, for all your blessings, for the Holy Spirit that indwells us, we thank you, Father, that there are men like Keithian that are willing to go out into the prisons, into the byways, and around this world to preach the good news to those who desperately need to hear it. And, Father, today we also pray that Keithian, if he's lost, he finds his way and uh, gets here real soon so that we can have him benefit of him preaching and giving us an update on his ministry, Father. We also pray for everybody here, for whatever their needs are, whatever their pains are, that you would... Uh, Comfort them, Father, through your word and through others. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Keith, what a surprise. You're not supposed to be here next week. What's going on over here? Well, <laughs> by the way, it's nice to see Calvin today, isn't it? I saw you walking in on your own power. He's getting a chair ready for his leg. I don't blame him. All right, welcome again, everybody, to Lighthouse Bible Church. It's going to get everybody a minute to settle down here and all the excitement. Sir? How are you doing? Everyone. A couple of announcements this morning. Be no surprise that our ministry this month is Grace Prison Ministries. This gentleman behind me, Keithian Starling, is the head of that ministry. They go to prisons and jails and they preach the gospel for the unbelievers that are there. And they also teach the word of God to the new believers and those who have been in, in the Lord for a while beyond that. And uh, it's centered in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, in fact, keep, uh, Keithy and, and Grace Prison Ministries in prayer because in April they're going to be going into a woman's prison and, uh, preaching the gospel and, and give, teaching the word of God and encouraging th- those ladies that are there in prison as well. And, uh, he's a, he's a great man. I don't, I don't want to blow up his head or anything, but, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people have their lives changed because of his faithfulness to his, to his calling and it's something to see. Um, so I've had the opportunity to go with him on one or two of the conferences that he's had, and um, it's just amazing, the uh, reception that we get from the gospel. 
And uh, so I encourage anybody who might be interested in giving that a shot to talk to Keith in today after service and find out more. Uh, by the way, at the end of service today, we will be taking a love offering for Grace Prison Ministries. Um, any checks you can make out to, surprise, Grace Prison Ministries. But people ask sometimes, do it to Keith and to Grace Prison Ministries. But it's to Grace Prison Ministries if you, if you choose to do so. All right, well, without any further ado, you ready? Cool. I'm going to introduce the man behind me. His name is Keith Ian Starling. Please give him a warm welcome and listen to him as he brings forth the word today. Good morning. Seems like it's been forever since I've seen you guys. It's always a, a pleasure and an honor. Um, I don't think many of you know the impact that your support and my relationship with you guys, um, your prayers, have impacted not only my life, but John said a hundred but I say thousands of people's lives. I've been doing prison ministry for about 20 years now, and I actually started doing prison ministry in prison. Um, I had a 40-year sentence for drugs, um, but at 13 years old, I went to a lifestyle of crime, drug dealing, and violence. Um, Been shot with a pump shotgun when I was about 13. Uh, at a block party, but by the grace of God, I got spared. I did not have a clue that God had this plan for me, um, but he had a clue, and they said I probably would be dead before I turned 15 years old, uh, but I'm 42 now, by the grace of God, and I went into the promised land at 40 years. I went to Israel at 40 years, <laughs> and so I have been impacted by the grace of God, and that message have impacted my life so that it is my heart and my desire to take this grace message that changed my life to prisons and jails and wherever God opened the door. I didn't do 40 years in prison. I did two years and six months. And God used that sentence to change my heart, to change my life, and to helped me grow in my relationship with God and to teach me to trust him and to teach me to obey him. And one day I was sitting in my jail, my prison cell, and I said, Lord, I don't have anything. All I have is a relationship with you and your promises. I am peaceful. I am happy. I have hope. And two days later, they called me to the warden's office and told me that I was going home in in, in a couple of days. They decided to let me out early. And I got out and continued to pursue sound Bible teaching at a local church in Albany, Georgia. And then I went to uh, enroll in seminary and Bible college at Tyndale Theological Seminary. And after Tyndale, uh, I sensed God called me to Nashville, Tennessee to work with a missionary organization. And after being there for a couple of years, God called me back into the prison. And so I've been, uh, I incorporated Grace Prison Ministry in 2008. 
and, 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 and I'm still doing it. And so that's a little bit of my story. That's not all of it. If, if, if you used to go to the camps that Marilyn used to host, you probably say every time he share his story, I always hear something different. <laughs> because God has been so good to me uh, in my life. But it's, it's a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, thank you all for you. Thank uh, um, uh, Lighthouse Bible Church and, and many of you uh, here that support Grace Prison Ministry. And like I said, when I started this morning, I don't think you understand the impact of your support. When I go around Nashville and other places around the country, uh, I always meet people that have impacted by my ministry. And I want to share this morning, before we uh, uh, get into God's word, I want to share this morning uh, some of the things that uh, God have allowed me to see happen through this ministry and through your support. Before we do, let's spend a few moments in silent prayer and just give you the opportunity to clear your minds, uh, to make sure uh, that you are in a spiritual place uh, to be able to receive uh, what God has to offer today. Uh, in other words, um, as you all know, uh, darkness pretty much blinds us where we cannot really see the light of God's word. And we all at time um, go into some area of darkness and it's called sin. And, 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 but let us exercise our faith uh, and prepare ourselves for the word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful um, for your grace, and which means your kindness to those who do not deserve it. And we remove all of our pride and our arrogance this morning, realizing that we are alive, and everything that we have is a result of your kindness to us, and not as a result of our efforts, our power, and our strength, but we are who we are uh, because of your strength and your power and your grace. Thank you for the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, who took our place at the cross and paid our penalty so that we can escape uh, your penalty upon sinners, which is death. And thank you for giving us your spirit so that we can comprehend and understand the things that we're about to learn this morning. And Lord, we know that you're holy and you're righteous. There's no sin in you, and, and we ask you to just search us and clean us so that we can be able uh, to concentrate this morning on what you have to say to us. Bless our time together. In Christ's name, amen. So... Um, Presently, uh, Grace Prison Ministry visits um, about, you know, maybe uh, seven local jails and prison in Nashville, Tennessee. And we also have a prison in New York, Pennsylvania, Louisiana, uh, Georgia. Uh, and I have went to other places. I have been out to Seattle, Washington. I have been to some other places around the country. I even had the opportunity to go to Israel and go to India. Uh, but... I want to just talk a little bit about the local ministry in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Now, I teach Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and Sunday, 
in the local prisons and jail, maximum security uh, jails, uh, local jails, and, and, and some of the places in the, uh, one of the maximum security women prison in Nashville, Tennessee. And on Monday, I, I go to a jail where guys are, and females are waiting to go to trial, so they're going to be there very, they're not going to be there long, so I always give them the gospel and always give them basic uh, procedures to live in the Christian life because you can't really get into real in-depth teaching with them because they'll soon be out. And then on Wednesday, I go to a maximum security jail. Most of these inmates uh, have uh, probably is looking at life in prison because they're most of the ones you see on the news. Um, it does my heart good when I'm at home and I look on the news and I see these, in, I mean, these guys with jumpsuits on. And then I see them in my Bible class when I get to the jail. And, and they're in there for really serious crime. You know, most of them murder and, and gang activity. And I see a lot of them come to my, my, my service. And, and some of them get saved and, and they, they begin to pursue um, the word of God. And I'm there just to give them hope and to show them in spite of your circumstance, uh, you can look beyond your circumstance to the future that God have in store for you through Christ. So in spite of your decision and your sin, uh, you can look beyond your circumstance through the hope that is in Christ. And that frees them uh, from, you know, the uh, enslavement that they're in. And then on... Um, on, when, on uh, Friday, I go back to that same jail, but to a, a different group. Um, and these people, like I say, uh, these, this is, uh, these are the worst of, of the worst. And most uh, ministers uh, do not serve with, up, up there um, just because, you know, they feel like there is no hope for these individuals. But I'm going to tell you, um, I have seen God do amazing things. Uh, and actually, I enjoy being in a place like that where uh, people feel like there is no hope and, and be able to be used by God to give them hope. And then on uh, uh, Sunday, I go to a maximum security uh, jail, um, uh, no, not prison, which is the DeBerry Special Needs Prison. And it's where they send all the mental um, insane um, individual at sex offenders. Um, game members who are on protective custody. Um, and so I teach there on, on, on Sunday night. And actually, Sunday night is a Bible learning center. So that is a training that I do for inmates who want to get involved in mission work in the prison. And so I'm training them. Uh, and presently, we're, I'm showing them how to study and interpret the Bible. And then we'll go into Old Testament survey and New Testament survey. And then on Monday, I forgot, on Monday, I also teach at another uh, maximum security prison. So that's a little bit about what I do locally. Now, about, i say, 10 years ago at a local jail in Nashville, I don't teach there on a regular basis. I used to, but I don't anymore. Uh, there was an, a Hispanic inmate who came to my Bible class, and he came to believe in Jesus Christ, his Savior, and he began to come to the Bible study, start learning, you know, sound Bible teaching, and start growing in grace. And his inmate uh, went to prison 
he got like 30 years in prison. But when he went to prison, he got promoted as the chaplain's aide uh, just because of his knowledge of the word of God. And he was just a man of character. And, and over time, he developed character, and they promoted him to be the chaplain of the prison's aide. And then his inmate got transferred back to Nashville, Tennessee, to a maximum security prison, and he became the chaplain's aide there. His name is Luis. And Luis um, stayed in contact with me, and then one day um, I wanted to get into that prison, and I called the chaplain, and, and, I, and, and lo and behold, Luis was sitting in his office, and, and, and when I called the chaplain, the chaplain said, Keith and Starlin, we were just talking about you. Guess who I have in my office? I have Luis in my office. And Luis was just asking me to give you a call to see would you come out here and teach a Bible study. So I thought that was amazing. But Luis ended up making parole after two years, after, well, two years after I started coming out to that prison to do a, a Bible study in a church sermon. Well, he paroled out. And Luis have a child in Boston. He have two kids in Michigan. And he got married while he was in prison. And him and his wife had another child. And she had one child from a previous marriage. Well, Luis ended up getting custody of a child in Boston who um, mom was on drugs real bad. So the girl got taken, had got taken away uh, by the state. And then he got custody of the two kids in um, Michigan who were being abused physically uh, and sexually uh, 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 by the, the mom's uh, boyfriend. And he brought all his kids to Nashville. And then I helped Louis start a business. Uh, I helped Louis start a business to support his family. And, but when I and now Luis daily do devotionals and, and teaching his family um, the word of God. And he called me often and, and talking about some of the challenges that he's facing and raising his children. And I give him advice and encouragement. But when I when I when I look at Luis's life and there is hundreds of people I meet all the time around Nashville that is doing just as well as Luis is doing. But that inspired me, and I thought it was necessary to share that one particular story because, you know, when you send donations and you pray for us, you're not just impacting uh, my life but and the inmates' life, but you're uh, impacting their family's life because I cannot even do what I do because, as you know, I am a missionary. And, and, and on the way I'm able to travel the world and travel the country and go into prison and jail is through your faithful support. I did leave my job about um, 12, 13 years ago making, you know, good money to go back into the prison. And so uh, I thought that you should know uh, the impact that your contribution are making in the lives of uh, inmates. And here's the deal. It is God's word that changes lives. It is God's word that changes lives. And all I am doing is allowing God to use me as an instrument to take his word and his truth to those who are in, incarcerated. I'll give you one more story. I'm not going to uh, spend a whole lot of time telling you. But one day, um, um, I ran out to, I, I, I was about to miss my trash guy. And so I ran and got my trash can, put it outside the road. 
And the trash man pulled up and jumped out of his truck and just came and gave me a big hug. And I'm like, well, it was an inmate. that It was a guy who was actually one of, a, a prisoner in the jail. He was in my Bible class. And he would just tell me, he said, I've been trying to uh, catch you. I have seen you many times. I have been, uh, he said, man, I still remember a lot of the lesson that you, you, you taught me. He said, you are the real deal. <laughs> He said, you, he said, you are the real deal. He said, You're the, what you used to teach was just, you know, right on. And he quoted some stuff that I taught like five, six years ago. And, and I didn't recognize him, but he told me that he was in my Bible class, so I just believed him. Um, and then I went to get my hair cut one time. And I, and I walked in, and I saw this guy just kept staring at me, kept staring at me, kept staring at me. And, uh, and, I, and I, he said, Man, you used to come and teach at the prison, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I am. He said, you're Keithian, right? With Grace Prison Men. I said, yeah. He said, man, I, I really appreciate you for, for what you taught me. And, and two young boys with dreads walked in the door. Three walked in the door. And he couldn't help but introduce his boys to me because now this guy has been a, a really good father to his, his children and, uh, and he just f- thought it was really necessary for him to, he said, this is the guy that used to teach me when I was in the, uh, in the prison. And so, and I'm going to tell you, so when those kids, lock, when their parents are chained, you know, it pretty much gets the whole family, especially the men, especially the men, it gets the whole family. So I just thought, you know, it, it was, uh, it should be encouragement, you know, encouraging to you guys. Some of y'all have been supporting the ministry for long as it's been existing which is uh, 12 years now. And so I just want to thank you for your support and just know that your support is uh, changing lives. We may not be building wells and uh, we may not be uh, uh, got a soup kitchen going on at a clothes pantry, <laughs> but we're changing lives. And I can have a soup kitchen, I can have a clothing drive, but if those people leave out there with new clothes, but still lost, I have not done them any justice. I have not, I care more about their soul, because I know if you deal with the soul and the heart, it'll change their lives, it'll change their circumstance, it'll change their future, it'll change our nation, Um, it would change everything. But some people, they go on our website and they see all we do is disseminate God's word. Now we do a lot of the humanitarian things when they get out of prison, they need bus passes, they need food, and sometimes they need temporary housing and stuff like that. We do a lot of that, and, and, and we had to actually sell the, uh, well, we had to postpone the transition facility we used to have because we didn't have enough support to keep it running. But so we, time to time, put people's up temporarily in place until they can find housing. And we do a lot of that stuff, but that's not our main goal. That's not our main goal. Our main goal is to take the word of the gospel once they get saved to build them up in the faith teach them the word so they can become strong uh, and then train them so that they can be able to reach um, other people so that is our mission that is what we do and, and that is just three incidents and i be everywhere all the time I'm telling you and it does my soul really good because I don't look for I don't keep up with the numbers and nothing like that and I don't look for God to pat me on the back. Everything I do is behind the scene. It's for God's glory. And I don't have to get promoted. I don't have to be pat on the back or t- nobody tell me how great I am. 
Uh, I don't care anything about that. God have loved me. He have been kind to me. He have saved me. And I am motivated by that love. He loved me and therefore he loved them. And he want me to take his love and his grace and his truth that can change their lives. So that's, that's what it's all about. But anyway, if you will, now here's the good part. Open your Bible to Ezekiel. Anytime I come to give an update and, and I come to share what God is doing through Grace Prison Ministry, I always like to share with you what God is saying to me in this particular time uh, in my life. And, and we live in a very interesting time, and I think you guys should be aware of what's going on in the world and what God is doing. Um, and I know this is not going to be a, a very popular message, because when God gave it to Ezekiel, uh, it wasn't popular. And he actually told Ezekiel that they're not going to listen to you. He said, they're not going to listen to you, but I still want you to go and say it. Uh, and, and tell them because this is not a popular message. And most of the time, if the message don't make you feel good, people tend to not come to church or they tend to, when they leave, never come back. But that's between you and the Lord and that between them and the Lord, at least you got the message. So we're going to do a study uh, of Ezekiel. Let me see how much time I got before I get carried away. What time we? <laughs> <In> five hours. <laughs> Okay, Tim, after 11. That's a good time. And so I want you all to know that church history is about to come to a close. Church history is about to come to a close. And when you say church history, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the age and the time in which we live in where God is offering salvation to the Gentile. Now, he is offering salvation to the Jews as well. There are still Jews believing in Christ. They're called Messianic Jews. They believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So, but the church is made up of Jew and Gentile who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And so the church is that body of believer, universal. Wherever you're at, any parts of the world, we're all part of this one body, this one family. Therefore, there is no racial barriers anymore. There is no racial barriers anymore. I got to say this. What color do you think the first man was? Like Adam. What do you color you think? Well, think he was white? Well, if he was white, then that means everybody would be white. If he was black, guess what? Everybody would be black. So that means that that was a neutral color. So that you can get all different types of races. You can get a black, you get white, you get Mexican, whatever. So, y'all, let us not get carried away. We all come from the same race. And, and Noah's son, they probably were different colors, too. They probably was white, black. Ham probably was black. And then Noah probably was, I don't know, white. And then you had his other brothers uh, probably a little brown, a little clay-looking color. So that, and one of them was purple. So that's how we get all the different races, Okay. But we all stand condemned by God, no matter what color we are. And, but when we believe in Jesus Christ, God brings us in one family, one body. Man, I tell you something, if this was taught in churches, then that will solve a whole lot of our problems, y'all. <laughs> it will solve a whole lot. They didn't just change. The, we didn't get, I didn't get this color just because I live in a certain type of climate, okay? 
I didn't get this color because I lived in a certain area of the world. Uh, that's the biblical view of how we got all this different skin color. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, we're all one in Christ. There is no racial barriers anymore. There is no superior race. Uh, we're all sinners separated from God, and we're saved by grace through faith. So who do we think we are? We're no one. I, th- I like what Nebuchadnezzar said. God had to teach him humility. He said, we are as nothing in the eyes of the sovereign creator. But anyway, so I had to say, I had to say that, uh, but the church age is about to come to a close because the Bible tells us what's going to characterize men at the end of the church age, at the last day. In other words, there's going to be a great apostasy where the church is going to abandon God's word. The church is going to abandon God's word, and they're going to compromise their faith. They're going to compromise God's truth. You're not going to be able to see the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And, 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 and so, you know, judgment is about to come. Judgment is about to come. But you have these pastors that are telling everybody that everything's going to be all right. You know, I, I wonder did the Romans knew that they was going to fall when they fell. I'm because I'm, everything was like great. They was at the height of their power. They did not think that they was going to fall from being a superpower. And I don't think the United States or even the citizen of the United States think that we would fall from our status as a superpower. But if you look throughout history, most superpower nation only lasts about three hundred years. And how many years you think we are, how many years we've been a superpower? Close to 300 years. Because after 300 years, man just sinks so far into depravity where God has to judge and he has to bring, take us out of here. And the next event that has to happen, is going to happen according to scripture, is the rapture. Why? Because there are seven years of great tribulation left in God judging Israel for her idolatry and for her rejection of the glory of God, Jesus Christ. And so we can see that the events that is going on in the Middle East and in the world is leading up to seven years of tribulation of God's judgment on Israel. Now, they're not leaving the land. They're there to stay. 1948, when they became a nation again, they're there to stay. They're not leaving the land, but they're in for a lot of trouble during the seven years of great tribulation that Revelation uh, 4 through 19 talks about. But we should not be so much concerned about the tribulation because we're not going to be here. But we should know if we see events happening in the world that, that tells us that the tribulation is near what lets you know that the rapture is even nearer than that. <laughs> the rapture is even nearer than that, and I know it is near, uh, nearer than that. So when I listen to a lot of Bible teaching pastors that really teach the Bible, they all saying the same thing. For some reason, we're all teaching on prophecy, end-time events. And that is the Holy Spirit letting us know that we're in the end time. But we as believers don't live like we're living in the end time. So in Ezekiel, now Ezekiel, the first thing I want to do is just give you a quick outline of this book. Now, 
Ezekiel means God strengthens. Ezekiel means God strengthens. And the audience of Ezekiel is the exiles in Babylon. The exiles in Babylon. The Jews who are in exile. Now remember, there were three deportations of the southern kingdom. Israel. And the capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. And there was three deportations into Babylon. The first one was in 605 B.C. And then 597 B.C. And then destruction was in 586 B.C. So why three deportation? Because the people would not learn their lesson. They would not look at the example of the northern kingdom, which is the ten tribe. They got wiped totally out. They're no longer famous. And the reason they got not, uh, wiped out is whoring around on God. You know, they were prostitutes. They were unfaithful. They breached their covenant relationship uh, with God in the Mosaic uh, law. And as a result, exactly what God said will happen, happened because of the breach of that covenant relationship uh, with God. So Ezekiel is prophesying to the exiles in Babylon. Now, the first three chapters in Ezekiel is God's call and commission to Ezekiel. God's call and commission of Ezekiel. And so God, in this first three chapters, is going to reveal his glory to Ezekiel. Okay, and he's riding on his throne chariot. He's riding on his throne chariot. And on this throne chariot, God is revealing his character. He's revealing his character. And then in chapter 4 through 24, which is one section, we have God's condemnation of Judah. Why? Because Judah rejected God's glory. Judah rejected God's glory. And that's 4 through 24. In other words, God, through his law, he reveals who he is. He reveals his character. For example, God is righteous, meaning he rejects sin. And his law reveals his righteous standard. But God also is just, meaning he must judge whatever do not line up with his righteous standard. But in love, he always provides a way um, to escape. But Israel rejected the glory of God. They knew God. They had revelation in the law. But yet, instead of allowing that revelation to influence how they live their lives, they made bad decisions. And as a result of their bad decision, they reap a lot of misery, heartache, and pain, and enslavement, and oppression. And instead of them looking at their ways and mending their ways and confessing their sins and turning back to God and being faithful to their covenant relationship, they began to whore around on God. They began to look to the heathen nations for help. And many of you, many of you all say, if I was, had the revelation that they had, I would not have done what they did. But let me tell you this. The term idol is used 38 times in Ezekiel and nine times in the rest of the Old Testament. 
The people are told to destroy, abandon, and remove their idols. See, they, when they came out of Egypt, guess what came out with them? <laughs> the heathen idols. They allowed themselves to be influenced by the culture that surrounded them in Egypt. And so they took some of the stuff from the culture out with them. No wonder they had so many problems and God trying to teach them lessons of faith and lessons of obedience. And it was very difficult because they had, they, they, they had so much affection for their idols, for the lifestyle of the unbeliever. And see, idols could be something made of wood, stone, silver, or gold in, in that time, you know, the, the pagan, the Egyptian, they had idols, and these idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold, made out of created things, made out of created uh, uh, things. In other words, they put these things in the place of their God. They put these things in the place of their God. And, and these God, to them, influence every era of their lives or involved in every era. To them, they think that, like, if they become powerful or successful, they credited that not to the one true God, but to their idols or to their, the gods that they, they serve or have made up and dreamed up and all that type of stuff, not realizing that there is only one sovereign creator. And if you got any power, he gave it to you. If you got any wealth, he gave it to you. Everything is working together to accomplish his will. And so any power and authority that anyone have, it was given to him by the creator. But they did not acknowledge that. They gave credit to their heathen gods. And so when Israel see and the Jews saw all this power and this glory and this success and uh, just how attractive the, the Babylon or the Egyptian, these unbelievers were, and they were like, wow. But we are oppressed. Then they start lusting after the heathen idols and their God. Because look, they look the heathen look successful. Everything looked great. <laughs> and then they look at themselves and their circumstance as a result of their own bad decisions. Then the unbelieving lifestyle start looking very attractive. Man, I should be doing what they do. They seem to be having a good time over there. They seem to be having a good time. They seem to be successful instead of turning to God for help. Instead of turning to him for help in that situation. And so that's chapter 4 through 24. God's glory is rejected by Israel. The same, they did the exact same, same thing when Jesus came into the world. He was the glory of God. He was God's revelation of himself to man. And guess what? They did it again. They rejected the glory of God again, just like they did in Ezekiel's time. And what, as a result, he allowed the heathen nations to oppress them, to persecute them, to try to annihilate and to kill. I, and I really do believe that that's probably one of the reasons for the Holocaust, because they were scattered all around, all over the world as a result of their disobedience and their breach of the contract that God had with them. And, and, and but God turned right around because his love never failed, even though we may fail. He came back like he did in Egypt. He heard their cry. He remembered the unconditional covenant 
that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, you know what? I'm finna judge Hitler. <laughs> I'm finna judge Hitler. I'm finna judge any nation that is rising up against my people because I still have promises that I need to fulfill that is unconditional. And when it's unconditional, that means that the fulfillment of the covenant is not dependent on the action of the recipient, but in the faithfulness of the one who gave the covenant, the character of God. And so there is some covenant that God still has to fulfill that is not dependent on Israel's failure. So he still have a future for Israel. He still have promises that he got to fulfill. A time of peace where they're going to be delivered from all of their enemies, which would not come until the seven years that have already been prophesied of great tribulation when Jesus is going to come back and step foot on the Mount of Olives and he's going to put an end to all of Israel's enemies. There'll be a thousand years of peace. And then after that, we got saved saved cast into the lake of fire and then a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. And we all go off in the sunset singing Kumbaya. And we'll be forever in glory, no longer experiencing the effects of sin and man's rebellion against God. Satan is always in the business of encouraging self-rule, encouraging self-rule. You know, you should be able to do whatever you want to do. do you know, don't, don't live by God's standard. Just rule your own life. i tell you something. And I'm not picking on women, but I'm just giving an illustration, okay? And I can, I can use men's as well. In, in, Genesis, I mean, in Genesis, if you read Genesis, when God created the woman, he created the woman, why? Anybody know? I'm going to see it. Y'all got any Bible scholars in here? You don't even have to be a scholar to know why God created the woman. To be a helpmate for the, for the man. To, and what does it mean to be a hate helpmate, to assist, to support, to come alongside your husband and support his leadership, support uh, the tasks that God have given him, whether it be in his business, whether it be in his ministry. But you know what the world tells women? That you should be out here exploring your option. You should be deciding for your, that's for old, that's old school, old, that's for old folks, you know, that that, that helpmate stuff, you know, for your husband. Well, according to my Bible, nowhere do I see God saying that a woman should have her own plan going on somewhere independently of her husband. I don't see that. that don't, uh, but that's what you see even amongst Christians, that we are, we, we're, and I think that's the, the woman's greatest weakness, her desire to rule over the man and be self-rule. I think that's their greatest weakness. And the man's greatest weakness, I, be, I bet you every man knows this answer, his desire for his woman. Or his desire for the, for the woman. That's his greatest weakness, the man's greatest weakness. Look at Adam. He was, willing, he was willing to compromise biblical standards and God's truth. Even though he knew that that wasn't the truth, he was willing to compromise the truth because of his desire for his woman. Well, I have reached a place in my life that I have lost relationships because 
of my stand for God's truth. I give you one, one example of that. The word of God says, Cursed the man who trusts in man and made flesh his strength, but blessed the man that trusts in the Lord and made the Lord his strength. So if, if I'm going through problems in my marriage, I'm not saying if you're a, a believer who are growing in grace and you're not very knowledgeable in the word, yes, you should seek out mature believer that can give you good advice and some experience to help deal with certain problems that occur in marriage. But where do you go as a believer who's been learning the word of God for 50 years, okay? Where do you go when you, as soon as you start having difficulties in your marriage, you go to the Lord for help. You go to the Lord for help. You go to prayer, okay? And yes, when you go to other believers who are sound in the faith, yes, you are seeking God for help. But never lose sight of God and get so focused in depending on a man or me, but depend on God's word because God's word is sufficient for every need that we have, every problem that we have. There's a solution in the word of God. It's a solution right there in the Bible. A lot of us just don't spend the time. And so when I tell people that, you know what, I'm not going to go seeking everybody to you know, tell them all my business and to... Uh, I look to them to solve problems. I know what I need to do as a husband. As a husband, I need to love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's so simple. All right? I am to love my wife. And, and, and guess what? I do not want to do that when she's nagging at me. But God gives me the grace and the strength to do it when I think about how he dealt with me. But if I did not know how God dealt with me, then I did not have the love or the capability to even love my wife. <laughs> I can't love if I don't know that I, I have been loved. And because I know I have been loved, now I'm capable, and that comes from just growing in the word, growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he done for me through studying the word. And now I'm better able to love my wife's sacrifice. Now I'm able to seek what is best for her rather than always seeking what is best for me. I can't do that unless I grow in my relationship with God in the Word. And a lot of believers don't grow in the Word, so they go out right in everywhere, try to find help. Try, and God say, I'm right here. Come to Bible class. Come to church. Get in the Word. And you'll find a solution for every problem. I was in a jail when I was in prison. I used to study the Word of God sometimes 24 hours a day. And all the problems that I had, I would find a solution. That's why I used to want to study so much. Because I'm like, man, it's right. No wonder Satan try to keep me busy and distracted. Because <laughs> it was right here. That's why I don't care. It, people tell, and then they'll try to say you're arrogant because you won't run to everything and everybody for help. And you run to the Lord. It's all, oh, you're just arrogant. We as believers, we are worshiping idols, just like the unbelievers. Don't you know we're Gentile and it's prone in us to want to worship something other than God? <laughs> we're Gentile. Even though we're saved by grace, we have it in us to want to, from our ancestors, we want to worship something else other than God. It's in us. It's grain in us. It's in our day to day. Okay? If, if, if the internet crashed today, if the internet crashed today, and there's no more Facebook, Guess what? The suicide rate is going up. I, I'm, literally, I guarantee you, I guarantee you. 
Cause nobody know what to do now. They don't know what, how, what, you know, they don't, they don't know what to do. They have so much affection for people and for Facebook and comparing themselves with everybody and, and, you know, all that type of stuff. They spend too much time on Facebook and don't realize, guess what? You know what God did to Israel? That whatever had their affection end up being the source of their destruction. It is the exact same thing today. Man, one time I took my daughter's cell phone away from her. I ain't never seen nothing like this. She was, to- I- I- she was demon possessed. <laughs> she wanted to actually fight me physically. I had to jack up and slam her against the wall. And she never seen that coming from a grace man. A humble man, as she say. And it blew her away. I think that we have too many idols. Our spouse, our, you know, just people and just so much stuff that we put more emphasis on other than God and pursuing his plan. And then in chapter 25 to 32, we have the condemned, uh, God condemning the nations. Um, in other words, he's going to judge the heathen nations in chapter 25 through um, 32. And then in chapter 33 through 48, we have the coming restoration of Israel. God's glory returning to Israel. God's glory returning to Israel. So so what what you're going to see in Ezekiel is that he's going to call Ezekiel and reveal his glory. And he's going to show how Israel had rejected his glory by worshiping and serving idols. And how he's going to judge her for it. But after he judged her by using heathen nations that they lusted after, then he's going to come back and judge the heathen nation. And then in the future, in the millennium, he's going to restore Israel and he's going to fulfill all his unconditional promises uh, to Israel. So that's the whole book of Ezekiel, just an outline. But now I have picked out a chapter that we're going to look at, and that is chapter 23 of Ezekiel. And chapter 23 of Ezekiel. So here's the message of the book of Ezekiel. Jerusalem will be destroyed. There will be seven years of captivity. But even though you're going to be in captivity, God have not forgot you. God have not forgot you. He will restore you in the future. So Ezekiel's message was a message of warning of God's judgment, but also it also was a message of expectation of the future glory of Israel after God have judged her for her sin. Okay? But, in chapter 20, actually go to chapter 20 first, because chapter 20 through 23 No, chapter 20 through 24 is one section. And in this section, these elders came to Israel 
acquiring of the Lord. Let me, let me get there. These elders came acquiring of the Lord. And let's start at verse, uh, let's go to verse 1. Now it came about in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Do you come to inquire of me as I live, declares the Lord God. I will not be inquired by you. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Make them know the abomination of their father and say to them, thus say the Lord, on the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt when I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. Now, in verse 1, we see these elders coming to Israel, inquiring of the Lord. Why, what are they re- inquiring? Well, they're, they're, they're inquiring about God's security. They want Ezekiel to assure them that they are secure from the Babylonians. In other words, the elders sought to secure God's revelation concerning information about King Zedekiah's attempt. So King Zedekiah made an attempt to secure Egypt's help in defeating the Babylonians and therefore return to Jerusalem. They want to return to Jerusalem. And so they want to know about that revelation. Have God revealed to you that Egypt is going to come and deliver us from the Babylonian. We're going to go back to Jerusalem. Well, Ezekiel did not have the revelation that they wanted. In response to their request, God gave Ezekiel the prophet a message. It was a message of judgment for idolatry, not just at that particular time, but throughout Israel history, idolatry. So he said, no. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. That's the revelation that we want to give you, that Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And God's judgment reveals his character. It reveals his character. Now, go to chapter 23. So this is the same section. He's still responding to the the elders who are seeking Egypt for help. And delivering from the Babylonian. Let's start at verse 1. So what I want to close with is this symbolic message that God gave Israel using two women, Ahola and Aholabah. I want y'all to say it. Ahola and Aholabah. <laughs> so verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother, and they played the harlot in Egypt. They played the harlot in their youth. There their breasts were pressed, and there their virgin bosom was handled. So here, God used two women, but 
they are symbolic women, and they symbolize uh, uh, Samaria, which was the capital of the northern tribe, and Jerusalem, which was the capital of the southern tribe, Judah. Then he say, they played the harlot. Now, what does that mean? They committed adultery. They was fornicators. And what does that mean? That means they breached their covenant relationship with their husband. Who were their husband? God was their husband. And they were supposed to be faithful to God, but instead they were looking to their another man for help. You know, when a woman commit a prostitute, why do a prostitute prostitute? Because she's seeking security, she's seeking help, and seeking someone else to care for her other than her husband. So God is saying they played the harlot. They're seeking someone else other than me to care for them, to help them, to fulfill them, to give meaning and purpose to their lives. They played the harlot in Egypt. They played the harlot in their youth, meaning they always did. This, this was their life for when they were like little teeny-witted kids. They repeated their dad. They were just like their daddies. You look at Solomon, who was a reason for the divided kingdom. They played the harlot in their youth. They always been like this. And it say, they played the harlot in their youth. They, their, their breasts were pressed. There were. In Egypt, their breasts were pressed. When a wo- just a picture of a man squeezing a woman's breast. They're becoming intimate, okay? They're becoming intimate. So what God has said here is that my people became intimate with unbelievers. They came, became intimate with the culture that surrounded them instead of being a light to that culture, instead of uh, being an example to that culture of my glory and my righteousness and my standard uh, and sharing the gospel with them, they're allowing the culture to influence. They're becoming intimate, too intimate with the unbelieving culture. There their breasts were pressed, and there their virgin bosom was handled. If a man find out that his another man is messing around with his wife's bosoms, <laughs> what do you think? Oh, he got to be one angry man. God is the same way. It, he's married to Israel. He's, the church is the bride of Christ. But yet, we're becoming too intimate with something else and somebody else and something else other than being content with pursuing the plan of God, being content, you know, in lining our lives with his word and pursuing his plan and will for our lives, seeking him for help instead of sex and drugs and money and, and all this other stuff. Then they say, and their name were Ahola and the elder and Ahola by her sister, and they became mine. They was married. I was married to them. And they bore sons and daughters. And as for their name, Samaria is Ahola and Jerusalem is Aholabah. And Ahola played the harlot while she was mine. And she lusted after her lovers, after the Assyrian unbelievers. She sought the unbelievers for help. Her neighbors who were So the surrounding nations, 
Now, here's the deal. If a Syrian helped you, then that means most of the time it meant you had to adopt and accept their gods. And you also had to accept their way of life, their morals. And then it says in verse 6, who were clothed in purple. Governors and officials, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. And she, she bestowed her harlotries on them, all of whom were the choicest men of Assyria. And with all whom she lusted after, with all their idols, she defiled herself. So the older sister, Ahola, looked to the Assyrian to help them when they were suffering for their own decisions, instead of looking to God, turning back to him, turning to his plan, pursuing his word, pursuing his will, accepting his glory, they looked to them. Because the Assyrians, their life looked attractive. They were powerful. You know, they, you know you, you, I mean, they were wearing purple. And, and in other words, word, their lifestyle looked very attractive. And yet, the believer life did not seem so good because of their own bad decision. And she bestowed her heart of tri- I mean, verse 8. And she did not forsake her heart of tri- from the time in Egypt. In other words, she's doing what she always done. She was doing this when she came, when she was in Egypt and came out of the Egyptian slavery. And she's still doing it even until today. She did not turn away from idolatry. For in her young, uh, for her youth men had lain with her, and they handed her virgin bosom and poured out their lust on her. So they allowed, they invited the Assyrian in, and when the Assyrian come into Samaria, they're gonna they're gonna erect their idol temples. They're gonna sacrifice uh, their children and to their heathen gods, and guess what? And then Israel adopt. The same lifestyle, the same culture. Well, they had to uh, because they were looking to them for help and security. But guess what ended up happening? God allowed that what they lusted after to be the source of their destruction and annihilation. So they didn't really get what they bargained for. Then verse 9 said, Therefore I gave her into the hands of her lovers. I allowed to destroy them what they lusted at, what they had most affection for. I allowed that thing to, some people, their whole life is all about getting more money, more money, more money. Guess what, God said, you know what? That's what's going to be the source of your destruction. (laughs) Sex. Oh, that's going to be the source of your destruction. That's why you got HIV and AIDS and all these other sexually transmitted diseases. But then it said, therefore, I gave her to her lovers and to the hand of the Assyrian after whom she lusted. 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was destroyed. They, they uncovered her nakedness. They took her sons and her daughters, but they slew her with the sword. Thus shall, shall, she shall become a byword among women, and they executed judgment on her. In other words, God used the heathen nation that they lust after to be the source of her destruction. They killed the wives and the children, and they became infamous. All right, verse 11. Now her sister, uh, Holabot, the younger sister, 
Aholabah saw this. She saw the destruction of the northern tribe, what God did through the Assyrians to Israel, the northern tribe. And the southern tribe, Judah and Jerusalem, they saw this. Yet she was more corrupt in her love than she, and her hearts were more than the hearts of her sister. In other words, Judah, the southern tribe, should have saw what happened and, and said, you know what, I'm not going to follow that same example, that same pattern of behavior, because look what happened to them. But instead, she became more corrupted. She uh, formed an alliance with them. Okay? Now, I want to I I show you something, and I'm going to close. How, do, how did Israel decline? How did they decline where they began to look to heathens for help and look to idols and, 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 and all that type of stuff? How, did, how do idolatry take place when people start to serve it and worship something else other than God? What happens that where we do that? Well, and you don't have to read it now, but Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, tells us what happens. We're going to worship something because we were created to worship. In Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, and I want to I I close with that. Let me, let's go to Romans um, chapter 1. Go to Romans 1. Here's how the decline began. Romans chapter 1. We'll close with this, I promise. Lord, say never say promise. Just say yes or no. All right, so Romans chapter 1. Here's how the decline began. The reason I'm showing this is so that we can know how to avoid idolatry. I know I know where Romans are at, is at. All right, so verse 18. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attribute, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fool, and they exchanged the glory of God, uh, uh, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creature. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their heart to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned their natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. 
Men with men commit indecent act, receive in their own person the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, vendors of evil, disobedient parent, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give approval to those who practice such things. So, in closing, point. Romans chapter 1 through 3, Paul is revealing why all men need God's righteousness. Why? Because all men stand condemned by God. And then in chapter 1, he shows us that the pagans are condemned by God because God had revealed himself to them, but yet they rejected him. And when you reject God's revelation, which is creation, for example, is God's revelation to pagans that he exists. Now, they can accept that truth and say, you know what, when I look at creation, there got to be a sovereign creator. And if you believe that, then God will provide the gospel information because you responded to the little light. Then he will give you more light and he'll give you the gospel. He'll send a missionary to you, the pagan, and give you the gospel. But if the pagan don't respond to God's creation, then he's not going to give them more light. And so when they reject who he, are, who he is, they reject his existence, then they become their own God. They decide now for themselves how they're going to live their life because the creator is the one who sets the moral standard for our lives. But if you reject him, then you now set the standard for your moral life. And then you begin to worship something else other than God. That's what we see here. So how we fall... In decline. Now let's apply that to as believers. We're not paid, but we're believers. Let's apply this today. Same thing. God reveals, this is God's revelation of himself, of his plan, what he expects from us, how we can be uh, saved, which we're already saved, but this is his revelation. When we neglect this and we reject this, then we become our own God. We begin to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And before you know it, we begin to worship something else, including ourselves, because if you, if you decided for yourself what is right or wrong, you have become your own God. You're worshiping yourself. But then that's how we start worshiping other things, is when we do not allow this to govern our life, and then once we, uh, once we abandon this, not only do we commit idolatry, but guess what follows worshiping something else other than God? Guess what follows that? Immorality. If you look at Israel history, once they start replacing God with something else, all types of immoral, immoral things start taking place. Why? Because God's revelation is no longer the standard for how you live your life. And so even today, you know why you see so many Christians live like unbelievers? 
They don't want to go to a church that teaches the Bible verse by verse. They want to go to a church that makes them feel good. They don't want to go to a church that tells them what they need to hear. They want to go to a church that tells them what they want to hear. A church where they can be comfortable with their lifestyle. The lifestyle of the unbeliever. They don't want to go to no church where it is challenging them to think and to act and to live the way the word of God say they should live. And guess what, y'all? As a result, I blame the church for us being in the condition that we're in now. Because we're not standing for the word of God, even though we may have to stand all alone. And nobody likes to be alone. Guess what? That's what the Christian life is all about. Along with the Lord and not running with the crowd. So I just want to encourage you guys and just challenge you to prepare yourself to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to get rewarded for what you've done for Christ. Not what you've done to promote yourself, but what you've done for Christ. Because this age is coming to an end. When you start seeing all of God's judgment coming on this country, you better be, be ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ because it's right around the corner. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful for your love and your grace to us. And thank you for helping us, reminding us of how we fall and reject your glory in your son, reject your word. It is so easy, Lord, to be distracted from the main thing, which is promoting your plan in the world instead of our own plans and our own agenda, allowing ourselves to be neutralized through adopting the ways of the world. And you told us in your word that whoever chooses to be a friend of the world have just chose to function as an enemy of God. Satan is in revolt against you, Father, and he's trying to encourage us to be in revolt against your plan and your will for our lives. And I just pray that we as believers will stand in the gap for our country and for the church by staying true to your word and applying it and living it, making it the number one priority in our lives because we will soon be standing before you to get rewarded for our faithfulness. Let us not be prostitute. Give us the energy and the strength to be faithful in an unfaithful time. We ask these days in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Keithian, for visiting us today and preaching the word. I just going to say one thing. There's a difference between us and Israel. You see, when Israel, under the covenant of the law, when they failed, God said, I'm going to punish you this way. Now, we fail the same way as Gentile unbelievers, but God said, here's the difference. The good news about Jesus Christ is, even though I indict you, Jesus Christ is going to be the one who pays the price for your sins. He's going to be judged at the cross so that you can live a life of freedom. That's the gospel. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us in order to do what Keith had talked about, which is to live the, God's life in our lives. So always keep in mind that God has got you, and he's got everything you need. He's already given it to you, okay? And it is in his word that he opens these things up to us. If we don't go to the word, we're going to have a miserable life, okay? It's that simple. All right, let's close in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, and we thank you for your word that's so clear. We ask now, Father, as we end this service today, that you would uh, allow us to be generous in our hearts, thinking about the needs that uh, those who are in prison, those who are lost have, and that we want to be a part of that. We may not be able to do it physically ourselves, but we know that you called us to give financially and support and prayer and encouragement to those who do. And we ask you to help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. This time I'd like to invite the ushers forward. We're going to take a love offering for Grace Prison Ministries at this time. Again, if, you're, if you so, so desire, you can write out your check to the sun, which is on the screen now. But it's Grace Prison Ministries. I do want to mention briefly that what we did today is the exception of the rule. We never pass the basket around when it's for our needs. We do that because we want somebody, a minister of the word, who is coming to visit us. We're not going to have an opportunity, perhaps, to support them. So that's we don't usually do that, just so you know. We believe uh, giving should be a grace response to God's word. And we don't want to um, force you to feel like you're socially insecure and looking around. Is anybody watching me not put something in the basket and all that? So just keep that in mind that uh, that is our policy in general. Next service, we have a Bible study on Thursday evenings. It's informal. Um, we are currently looking at the subject of eternal security, meaning that once you believe in Christ you're, and you're born again and you're declared righteous before God forever, you, nothing can ever happen to get between you and the love of God. And so we're looking at that in some detail. We encourage you to come with and see us Thursday evening, 7 o'clock here. We're here every Thursday. All right. Um, let's close again. Let's just close briefly. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for all your blessings on us. We thank you that although we deserved to go to the lake of fire, you decided instead to give us your son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place at the cross and die for our sins. And you raise him from the dead. And we know he has a life that will never end. And when we believe in him, you give us a life that will never end also. We want to thank you for all these gifts. We want to thank you for everybody who took the time to come this morning to hear Keithy speak and to hear God's word. And again, as Keithy and prayed, we believe today, Father, that your word would come with us and that we would, that would change our thinking as we live in this society. We ask this in Christ's name by the power of the Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Enjoy this Sunday afternoon. <laughs>